Welcome to the How to Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and today I'm so honored to have Dr. Kaushik Reddy. How are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me, Lori. How are you? Very good. And, you know, I just did a little bit about you, Dr. Reddy. I know you're an interventional cardiologist. You're the director of actually interventional cardiology at the VA uh, in Tampa. That's the James A. Haley Veterans Hospital, which is one of my favorite populations because I, I too, am a vet. So thank you for servicing our men and women who served our country. I appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. Have a close connection with the VA, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of have a really cool story, and we're going to get into that. But you're also a nutritional educator liaison for the Whole Health uh, Program, which is a new program at the VA. And it's across the United States. There's a few VAs that are participating. So we'll get into that, too. But first, I want to know a little bit about Dr. Reddy. And why did you even want to become a doctor? Well, it's a, it's a long story. I was 17 years old, and uh, in India, it's you know you you can go to medical school after two years of you know after high school. So after 12th grade, you can take an MCAT equal, and then you get into medical school. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I I saw medicine as a kind of a you know I really really honestly I did not know like a lifetime ambition or a personal compelling story. You know that was you know that was a you know place to be back you know mostly farming communities and engineering and medicine were the thing to do. To have a stable life and a and a and something meaningful with your academic career, and that's how I got into medicine. You know, I took the exam and I, I got in. I actually didn't get in the first time. I got in the second time. It was a tough, very competitive exam in India, and I Imagine. got in. Yeah, I got in, and uh, and and all these years, I would I would tell people I had an MD next to my name before I was 24. And, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, when you know, if I get my age back, I would, I would do it all over again because now I kind of found my passion as I got into training and I started meeting with people, interacting with human emotions and learning about disease diagnosis. And that's how I got into medicine. And, um, and yeah. So how did you decide to become a cardiologist and how did you get to the United States? I, I got into the United States, you know, back in the day, you know, I graduated medical school end of 94, early 95. And uh, the social situation in India was very different back then than it is now. Uh, from an economic point of view, then I said, you know, it's probably better for me to go out of India for some time for training and come back. And then I came here, I met my wife during training, and uh, you know, in a way, America became second home, and I've been here now since 95. And um, I trained at uh, Winthrop Hospital in Long Island, Manuela for cardiology. And, uh, and getting into cardiology was, again, a no glory through during my residency training, you know, I gave it my best to, to all areas of medicine. And when it came to cardiology, the thought process was natural. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to do. You know, I want to do something that comes natural. Yes, mm-hmm. if I put my time and effort to it, I probably will be good at anything in medicine I want to be. But that's not what I want to do. I want to do something that is, comes naturally. So I enjoy doing it. So cardiology came natural and I chose cardiology. And then once I started you know, working in the cath lab and, you know, the glory of the procedure and treated a couple of acute MIs and go, wow, this is pretty cool. And the dexterity of the, what we do in the cardiac cath lab also kind of intrigued me as to what you can do with your hands. And uh, that's how I got into interventional cardiology. And I graduated in 2007 and came and started working at the VA ever since. And uh, partly was affiliated for a short period of time uh, with the university. I'm still affiliated, but I no longer work for the university. I work full-time for the VA now for, uh, this is my 11th year started just recently. Wow. So you, how many years, because you had mentioned earlier about just how long it takes you to become a cardiologist, interventional cardiologist. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. You know, my, my I, you know, coming from India, you know, my, my track into medicine is a little different from a, from a time point of view. 
but if you were to train in the U.S. by conventional track, it takes about 15 to 17 years of uh, uh, uninterrupted continuous training after high school to become an interventionalist because now cardiology programs and interventional cardiology programs are getting a little longer because there's so much to learn and procedures are so far advanced and uh, so the training programs are getting longer. So on average, it's anywhere between 15 to 17 years to become an interventionalist. Wow, that's incredible. That's so then that, I mean, I, it took me 11 just to do family medicine, much less, yeah. you know, the in-depth procedures that you require for you to do. Okay. So how did you find, so now we understand a little bit about your background, but you also have a passion for lifestyle medicine and whole food plant-based diet. How did that evolve from being an interventional cardiologist, you know, the reactive, you know, it's, it's, I, again, it's one year accident. There was a day, but I want to say two and a half years ago, maybe three years ago now, I, there was a day where I did about five or six procedures and all of them ended up being a coronary interventions. And um, I did them and I went to get a cup of coffee and I came and sat at my desk and it kind of out of nowhere, I kind of, I was doing the reports and then every single one of them was a diabetic uh, or a hypertensive or, or slightly obese had sleep apnea, you know, the conventional risk factors, smoking. And from a systems point of view, as a board certified cardiologist and information cardiologist in practice for seven, eight years back then, I said, whoa, look, I'm doing everything myself, my system, my colleagues, we are doing everything as per the guidelines. These veterans and these patients of mine are not neglected. They, they are getting top of the line of contemporary medical care. Yet, they are on my table today. Mm. Yet, they are on my table needing an coronary intervention. So, is it possible that there is something fundamentally wrong with the way I am treating coronary disease? Because my treatment is obviously not working. Because if you're a diabetic, guess what? I am treating your diabetic as best as I can. If you're hypertensive, I am following guidelines to the T. We are a full-time academic shop here. So there is no compromise in care. We do the best possible guideline-driven medical therapy. Yet, almost every patient of mine who comes there is, 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 has disease. So that's when I said, whoa, I need to reinvent myself. And every direction I looked and every path I looked led to nutrition. Mm. And, and that's what kind of, you know, kind of shocked me, but I was completely void of knowledge or formal training. Completely. I had no, except for telling my patients, eat healthy, go see uh, my colleague, dietitian. I had no concept of what actually nutrition meant. And then apparently, you know, the current dietitian's teachings were not enough either as yeah. they were, he still ended up on your table, yeah. right? The patient or dietitian, the VA has an amazing program called the MOVE program. It's a national program. They do wonderful things with patients. But my, when I first got into this, I, I just know, knew that, that there were dietitians in the hospital and there's a MOVE program, but I had no scientific knowledge as to what, how powerful nutrition and lifestyle can be. So during that quest of trying to reinvent myself and uh, my wife, Ange, and I, we woke up on Saturday, we turned the channel on and we're just brushing teeth. And this is a true story. And I shared it with a lot of people. And uh, it's uh, almost like a divine intervention, if you will, is the channel goes to a local PBS. And I'm brushing my teeth. I'm, you know, Angela, we're overhearing this man talking about, you diabetes can be reversed with a very unique way of presentation. And who, who is this guy? This is what, so it turns out it was none other than Dr. Joel Furman. <laughs> and I, what I thought was, oh, let me take a glimpse. Basically, I got glued to that entire program. 
And uh, so he was my kind of an opening light, if you want to call it, into the science of organized clinical nutrition. Look at nutrition not as some, you know, who can make the best recipe, but mm. be able to explain the pathways, be able to explain the mechanisms, be able to explain the evidence, just like I do for everything in cardiology or everything in purely evidence-based clinical nutrition. He was my kind of an opening guru. And I used to call him my mentor by proxy. <laughs> Eventually, you know, again, and sheer luck and accident, he and I got to know each other very well, you know, became you know, good friends now. That's what he calls me. And I, I feel honored. And then I got introduced into the whole team of superstars in the field, including you, uh, <laughs> uh, through him. Uh, and, uh, you know, the likes of uh, Michael Greger, Neil Bernard, you know, and I recently met Dean Ornish at the, the Lifestyle College of Medicine. So I, I follow their writings, and as I learn, I'm on a mission to share, because this, to me, is too powerful of an information not to be discussed. You know, the papers of Dr. Ornish published in 1983, how come I did not know about them during my cardiology fellowship? You know, 77% uh, decrease in, uh, these, you know, revascularization rates. So these are the questions I ask now, and I get almost like a, you know, that, that naive, the first year medical student kind of a grabbing more than you can chew type of eagerness to learn medicine. Right. I feel that you now after almost 30 years after graduation, I feel like I'm learning medicine all over again. Wow. And, uh, and I share that passion, I share that enthusiasm, and most importantly, I share that data. And, mm. and I'm not selling it because I have a better recipe than the next guy. Uh, I'm selling it because I have data, just like I have with any drug that I use in my cardiovascular medicine or material. Wow. So then how, how did you incorporate that into your life? I mean, that's one so thing to hear it. It's a whole other yeah. to live it. Oh, that's another story. So personally, I read the data, and, uh, but I was talking about it. But to be honest with you, I was not practicing it. I, I'm, being, I'm being honest with you. I'm just, you know, I was, you know, just doing my own thing with diet. And, and uh, you know, kind of, you know, a young guy, you know, I'm doing okay. I'm doing exercise. I'm doing okay. And uh, I was not a vegetarian, I, or to put it in Dr. Foreman's terms, I was not his nutritarian person. Uh, he would be probably disappointed to hear me say this then. But and then one day, um, a week after my birthday, we were on Sarasota Beach, and my, my daughter, who was uh, 11 back then, and she saw a fish being caught. To I'm a photographer by hobby, and I'm taking pictures, and she sees a fish being caught to the left of us as we face the western horizon. And it, to me, the photographer, it's a beautiful scene. And it's an awesome scene. I'm taking this black and red pictures of this young man, the whole scene, it's like a baby shark. And the next thing is my, my daughter got very emotional and, and that, that bothered. And this is the kid who loved daddy's fish. When daddy cooked fish, she wanted a piece of salmon. She, that was they looked forward to. And then she chose to give up. I said, dad, if this is what it takes uh, for me to eat fish, I don't want to be a part of it. Mm. And um, I, in my mind, I said, you know, well, you know, something that came naturally, I want to be supportive. And I didn't say a word to her. You know, she got all emotional and teary-eyed. I grabbed her hand. We went to the hotel room. But in my mind, I'm saying to myself, eh, probably she's going to last a week. And she, independent of the rest of the family, she actually lasted over a year and a half. Hmm. And before I did it myself, I said, you know what? We, I, you know, I really need to do this. Yeah, and a part to be, you know, a partner with her, you know, daddy's gift to her, what, you know, whatever we want to call it. But, but once I got into it, like everything in the medicine, I literally dove myself to, you know, in, into every single bit of scientific information. Because that's what's going to convince me, not, not do it because somebody else is doing it, you know, even if it's my daughter. I, right. I really need to convince myself that I'm doing it for a meaningful scientific reason so I can connect along those lines with other, you know, fellow human beings, friends, family, 
you know, colleagues, patients. So that, that's how I got into the nitty gritty details. You know, when I tell people how broccoli works on your prostate, I can draw the mechanism now. Uh, uh, in terms of, you know, just, just like the way I can draw, draw the mechanisms of platelet biology when I give aspirin and platelets. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the way I'm approaching this in my own little uh, realm of, uh, of, of, you know, changing myself. Mm-hmm. And gradually, uh, I started doing experiments on them. But giving up animal products was, was, was actually easy. Giving up my chicken, giving up my fish overnight. It did, did not take a bite. And uh, same thing with sugar and salt. But the biggest problem I had was with milk. The biggest problem I had was with milk. I just would get drawn to milk. You know, I would go home. I had to have some of some milk in my cup of tea. I had to have my yogurt because, you know, we in India, we have this habit of eating yogurt with rice. Every meal ended with yogurt with rice. And that, I, then I said, what, you know, I'm taking pride in constantly winning mind over matter battle. But I found myself losing that battle when it came to milk. I said, there got to be something in here. What did I do? I went back and dug up old physiology books. And I kind of shocked, you know, how, how come I don't know how it And then I looked at the whole casein protein becoming casomorphine. That did it for me. Whoa, is it possible that I'm at a, at a low level? I'm actually addicted to morphine analog. Mm-hmm. When I looked at it that way, I made the connection. That's it, I'm done. <laughs> I shared that story with people because to me, it's, it, it's a science that did it for me. Not the culture, not the religion, not, none of that. It, it's a science that did it for me. Wow, there's a scientific reason why I should stop it. <laughs> you just need the facts. Yeah, I've seen the facts, and uh, to me, and it's been the best thing. My, my personally, what did I gain out of it? I never felt the need to, to kind of lose weight. I've been always into kind of you know staying physically active, but my allergies disappeared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for someone who grew up on a farm in India, I was told that I've dust my allergy, mm-hmm. and I came to Florida, and I became dependent on uh, nasal sprays and eye drops and and that kind of stuff. There were days when I scrubbed out of the procedure because of a sneezing spell. Wow. Yeah. And my back started hurting that I was going to prolapse the disc one day. Oh, uh, but the way out, I mean, I would start my day sometimes with, you know, basically nasal sprays, eye drops, and a Claritin. Yeah, and, but once I went completely whole food plant-based, uh, I haven't taken a drop, I haven't taken a spray, I haven't taken a single pill. That's awesome. That same thing happened to me. My allergies cleared up completely. Amazing. So now you've, this... Finding Dr. Furman and your daughter, were these running parallel or when did one happen before yeah. the other? That finding Dr. Furman actually happened uh, almost a year before my daughter. So during that year, mm-hmm. I was, yeah, I was just looking at his recipes and I was listening to him and I was kind of briefly talking to people here and there, but I never really saw the, the in-depth scientific value in it. Gotcha. Uh, and then a year, almost a year, a year, close to a year and a half goes by. Uh, and then I said, oh, wow, I really need to you know, dive deep into this. Gotcha. Uh, uh, and then, uh, and then the, the, a few months later, you know, my wife and uh, I, I didn't, I didn't convince or try, try to convince or force any any family member, including my wife. I said this is something so powerful and deep lifestyle. Like I know I'm finding with my patients, I can't force people to do it. You mm-hmm. have to the value because we're talking about in my case, you know, 40 plus years of lifestyle, mm-hmm. 40 years of you know eating mom's chicken curry. Yeah, and for me to give that up, or my, it's it, to me something so compelling has to come from within. Uh, I'm not going to do it just because I read a book by Dr. Furman or I heard Dr. Greger's video, which are great, by the way, one of the best you know speakers and writers. But that to me was never founded as a force enough. I really need to see the value the way I see it and I can apply. It. Mm-hmm. And oh, even my my 11 year old boy eats uh, you know broccoli and uh, kale sometimes for breakfast with sweet potatoes. <laughs> 
that's a true kid. That's a true, true plant-based kid. So then when did you decide, you said you were sort of talking to people. When did you really go full forth and start really talking to your patients regarding this? About a year and a half to almost two years ago, then I talked to when Dr. Foreman actually came here to town to do uh, his uh, book launch on um, the end of heart disease. That's when I him and then we started. Even before that, I actually I, I kind of emailed him and we borrowed one of his uh, chapter titles, uh, "Let's Not Dig Our Graves with Knives and Forks." I believe I think it's chapter two in his Eat to Live book. Uh, I said uh, we're going to use that as a title for a series of talks that I'm going to put together. Uh, then I used to meet with our hospital nurses, my uh, house residency house staff, fellowship program and the primary care doctors. And I basically conducted a whole series of lectures called, you know, it's basically the exact same thing, how not to die. Uh, not how not to die, but uh, you know, let's not dig our graves with knives and forks. Mm. Uh, then, you know, I, I'm using some of Dr. Gregor's work uh, to just to pass on the message. Look guys, there's, there's, there's this wealth of information here. Right. Uh, for everything that we take, you know, treat as a chronic disease with pills and procedures, uh, there are alternatives, lifestyle alternatives. And uh, so I've been doing that for about two years now. Okay, so then how often, now there's a new program, the Whole Health Program. Oh, which is- How did that evolve? Where did that come from? This is really exciting. Yeah, the Whole Health is a a big deal for me. To me, it's it's really godsend. It's a a national program from the VA, and uh, last I heard was it's it's heavily funded, and the VA is putting a lot of of money to get this. uh, So they chose, I believe, 18 sites across the country. To, to launch this program, uh, which is, it's, it's a nice diagram they created. It's a, it's, a, it's a circle of life kind of thing. In the middle is me, me as in a, a provider or anybody who's connected to the VA. It could be an employee, a physician, uh, but most importantly, our veterans. And uh, around you uh, in the middle are, are centered five or six core pillars of, uh, of nutrition, which is one is uh, uh, obviously nutrition, physical activity, uh, uh, mindfulness, uh, smoking cessation, uh, sleep habits and stress reduction, and uh, and all of these are going to be incorporated with alternative pathways like you know yoga, uh, meditation, uh, uh, you know tai chi, uh, and all all kinds of you know lifestyle alternatives for pain reduction, stress reduction modalities. So when this came to our site, and we were very fortunate uh, through through our leadership uh, and Dr. Dr. Pekal, uh, she's a formerly uh, I think uh, Andrew Wild trained integrative specialist. And she's our leader for whole health on site at, 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 at Haley. And uh, they, you know, given what, based on what I was already doing, and they said, but actually chief of medicine kind of volunteered, hey, you, you are the best fit to do the nutrition component of this whole health. And I, I jumped at it. Uh, so starting January 1, uh, 2018, I'll physically and metaphorically speaking, I'll be hanging my lead uh, in the cardiac cath lab for two half a days a week to participate in whole health education program and to talk to providers, on Thursdays and, and, and patients on Fridays about uh, the role of nutrition uh, and, and its usefulness in preventing disease. And that's not just, you're not just teaching at your locale, right? Are you gonna be teaching throughout? Through, uh, that, that's, my, that's my plan. There's a team put together for 2017 into 2018, which I was actually not aware of. So I made some connections with the team that's going on teaching nutrition. They're actually coming to our site in February of, of 2018. Okay. To, is a whole health teaching team that I'm, I'm trying to get on board for, to go on the national circuit for 20, late 2018 or 2019. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, that's a, really, okay. it's a great opportunity for me. It's incredible. So also, so you're also looking at yoga and you said other things, mindfulness. What other parts of the program are you guys going to be starting there at Haley in 2018? We are actually a flagship site for this. There, there are mm. 18 
as there are five flagship sites and uh, Tampa VA is one of the flagship sites. So there's a whole team being put together in all aspects, including a research team. Oh, yeah. wow. I will know a lot more about, you know, every, every little detail and every little person component uh, as, we, as we get rolling on January 1st. Uh, that so is my, fantastic. My, my role is basically to promote uh, whole food plant-based nutrition in preventing, treating, and potentially uh, reversing a lot, of, a lot of chronic diseases that we're dealing with. So now that this is coming into the Tampa VA, has there been any other talk from other providers interested? Are they poo-pooing it? What is the reception? No, surprisingly, it's, it's actually been very well received, even from, from day one when I started. You know, and, you know, people who oppose I've been able to talk to them. Not necessarily they're opposing it, but you know, from a lifestyle point of view, you know, it's it's including myself. When I first looked at it, wow, whole food plant based. Can you really survive on plants? Kind of questions. Uh, but when I sit down and talk to them, and people, you know, attend my lectures or even you know discussions, uh, it's it's been fairly, very, extremely well received. You know, and I'm meeting with my dietitians uh, uh, next uh, Monday to to come up with a comprehensive plan. So so. So there's a kind of a unanimous, kind of a unified approach that patients are not hearing 20 different things from four different people. Uh, and that confuses the system and confuses our veterans. So we are meeting on Monday next week to come up with a kind of a unified plan uh, mm. for, for entire cardiovascular service. Uh, when patients come here, our message is going to be one simple message uh, that we have to, we, we don't know what that is, but my goal is to push for a whole food plant-based diet. Absolutely. Uh, and then there, there is there is precedent for that. There are hospitals already doing that across the country. Oh. Yeah. So I just want to bring it here and and do some pilot projects in terms of outcomes. You know, you know, we recently found out through American Heart Association meeting last month that whole food plant based diet will lower heart failure admissions by forty two percent. Wow. And just look at the cost savings and quality of life indices and and for everybody, it's a win win situation for the some community and the hospitals and the country as a whole. Oh, absolutely. So then how are you presenting this to patients? What is your day-to-day conversations that you have with your individual patients? Do you have a certain way of presenting? That is the best part of my days now is when I meet with the veterans because it is, I get such a kick out of it because, you know, people come there and I said, how do I connect with them now? You know, I really need to step out of the doctor person. Because the doctor in me was never used to stepping into my patient's kitchen and asking them for detailed dietary history, meal by meal, snack by snack, drink by drink. To me, it's a learning process. But when they do share that information, how do I influence a change in them? Mm-hmm. Right? And then in the early days of doing this, I, I, nobody changed. And I was like, oh, what the heck am I doing? I'm, I must be doing something wrong. And then I realized that I am being very instructional. And I said, no, this, I just, that's what, who I, what I am as a doctor, you know, take these pills, come for this procedure, go to rehab or go to a dietitian, and life went on. Uh, so very instructional, cutthroat, one, two, three, this is how you do it. But now to connect with the fellow human being, to have them kind of even not change necessarily, but give a deep thought to change something that they did for 50, 60 years. Mm-hmm. I need to meet them not as a doctor. I need to meet them as a person who actually cares. And just like, you know, when, you know, for example, if to, to my brother said that he started smoking, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't instruct him and lecture him. I would connect him at a very deep emotional level mm. because I know the science of smoking. Right. So I would lecture to him. I would, so that's the way I started doing this. I literally pull the chair. I sometimes I hold their hands and I tell them, look, this is the not doctor really talking to you. This is Kaushik, the human being who is literally begging you 
to give my method two weeks. That's all I'm asking. Just, just, and then we'll take it from there, see what happens. And you'll be the judge. But what I'm willing to bet with you is that you're going to see the change in two weeks. That's all I'm asking. I'm literally begging you to give my method two weeks. And I will provide you with all the information. And sometimes I give, give my cell phone number. I, 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 the reason I say that I get a kick out of this is that I've had veterans call me from our public grocery store on my cell phone. I swear to God, the doctor ready, I listen to you, I am, I, but I, I'm not quite there to give up bread. Now you tell me what bread should I buy? <laughs> and I like, wow, this is, this, this, to me, this is such a unique social experiment for myself as to how to bring about this change. And mm. I learned each patient encounter, each human emotion, learn how to improvise myself and how to connect with them. And the uh, one best example was that there was a 80-some-year-old veteran who drove from east coast of Florida just to find me, to give me a hug and say, thank you, because I've been on insulin for God knows how many years, and I came off of it in three months. So I asked him, you know, what I needed to know. This was in the early days of me doing this. What I wanted to know, what was it that I said that connected with him? Because I want to duplicate that. Mm -hmm. And what he said to me, I'll never forget that. You know, he said to me that, look, that for, and that was the first time I saw him in my club. He said, you are, this is the first time you and I met. And you are a complete stranger to me. And when I went home, the time you spent with me, the way you talked to me about nutrition, the, the way you showed me hope that this disease can be reversed. I went home, sat down. I thought about it. This guy that I never met, this is my first time meeting him. He's not my you know, cardiologist for 20 years. If this strange doctor that I met for the first time shows so much caring about my health and my life, what the heck am I doing? Why am I not caring for myself? Hmm. And apparently that's what motivated me. That if a stranger who met me for the first time can show so much compassion. So that kind of taught me a lot of how to approach this. To approach this as a human emotion and kind of connect that as a lifestyle. And, not, and be less and less instructive, but more and be more and more connected with the patients. Right. Someone that you, showing them that you actually care, you're yeah. spending that time with them. It, it's, yeah. Absolutely. Because it's, it's, it's a, it's a, sometimes it's emotionally taxing for me to do this, this, you know, day, patient after patient after patient. It delays my round sometimes. It delays my day sometimes. Uh, but, but I can't walk away from this. This is, this is my rest of my medical career. Yeah. And that's what, based on this experience, you know, I kind of came up with the phrase, which I, 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 I put out at ACM, that as an interventional cardiologist, I have a carrot and a stamp you pick. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I have a carrot and a stick you pick. That's fantastic. Well, tell us a little bit about your thought experiments. You were mentioning that earlier. Oh, Can yeah, you describe yeah, yeah. that for me? That's another thing that I started, I started doing this very recently, about maybe about two or three months ago. So I would do this. Diagnostic cats, veterans would come to us with, you know, chest pain or what have you. And we, we do a heart catheterization. And I see the role for life, you know, lifestyle modification. I said, but I need to find a, like a very deeply connect, connecting spot. That how do I, you know, convert this experience of a veteran undergoing a, a, an invasive procedure under my hands. But the value in is not my invasive procedure, but the value that I can impart onto them is the value of lifestyle. So what I do, started doing now is that I make up a diagnosis. I said, hey, look, you know, uh, isn't this all made up? This is, none of this is actually true. That they So I make up a story that, look, you have two or three blockages, but they are not critical, that you don't need a stent yet, you don't need a bypass operation. But there are two or three new medications that I need to start that, that may work. Uh, and what do you think about it? And I usually do it in the confidence of the patient or whoever is attending one or two family members. 
And usually the response I get is, hey, oh, thanks, doc. You know, where can I pick them up? Do you, are you going to mail them to our house or we go out to the outpatient pharmacy to pick them up? I said, yeah, whatever you want, but uh, I'm in kind of in the middle of a middle of a bunch of things going on. Uh, let me go back and attend to a couple more patients. We'll talk more when I get back. So I usually, uh, this is all pretentious. None of this is actually true. They have no blockages. They're luckily there, everything is fine. And I come back and I come back and I meet with the family and the patient again. And that's when I sit down and that's when the doctor is, is I'm, not, I'm not the doctor now. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the lifestyle shrink now. <laughs> and hey guys, you know, I sit down and I, I have a conversation about, you know, there, there are a lot of things we can do. You know, you're a diabetic. I said, usually my opening line, would you believe me if I told you that there's a good chance that we can make you a non-diabetic? And usually they don't believe me. And this, what do you mean? What do you mean? So that's how I, that's why my kind of a segue into this whole thing. So I, I tell them, you know, this is how lifestyle works. There are a lot of resources. And then let's talk about, I take a notepad and I'm starting actually to take a detailed notes about what they actually eat, you know, meal recall. So when they hear about processed meals, you know, refined carbohydrates, you know, when I tell them, you know, that bacon, you might want to give that up for breakfast. And then all of a sudden from patients and family members, this is again, you know, the deep cultural issue that we have in the country is they start asking me a question. What do you mean eggs are bad for me? What do you mean I can't eat bacon? So that's when I stop. And I, this is what I say to them. And look, you know, about an hour ago, when I tried to control your health through my instruction and my pharmaceuticals, you, didn't, you asked me only one question. Where can I pick it up? But now when I'm trying to put your health and your life and your outcomes into your hands, and your lifestyle and your kitchen, you, 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 the questions keep coming. You're questioning me constantly. Every single thing I'm saying, you're questioning the authenticity of what I'm saying. And I, my next question I ask them on, just think about it for a second. On what planet is this normal? Mm. And, and their eyes light up like they said, holy crap, this is, this is, this is real. This is, we never looked at it that way. So that's how I kind of put it, I, that's how I get them. Right, <laughs> yeah, and, wow. And, and then all that I ask them from that day forward is that all that I'm asking you, two weeks, just two weeks of your life, give it to my, my approach. It's not even my approach. People have already laid that you know, guidance where there's very clear. Yeah, none of this is my invention. I'm just a newbie at this. I'm learning. I'm just so powerful. I'm sharing it as I learn. Right. Now, so what... Them- Go on, sorry. Where do you send them? What what handout do you give to them? What pro, is it a book or what? No, 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 usually what I ask them to do is that, you know, I ask them to usually to be very simple about recipes. I said, I want you to go Google, not vegan, not vegetarian. I, I want you to just Google whole food plant-based diet. And if you want to sit down and watch a documentary, watch Forks or Knives. They have mm-hmm. recipes. They have a good website. It's a nice entry-level information. Don't even go into the science and literature and the books. Just go home, start copying those recipes, print out a 14-day recipe. And I actually have something on my desk that I just downloaded from PCRM. Uh, and that I'm going to give it as a 14-day recipe for, for, for you know, easy, inexpensive recipe. So that way they don't get discouraged by the complexity of cooking. They don't get discouraged by the, the financial aspect of, you know, buying, you know, four blenders and all kinds of, you know, crazy things. So very simple, easy to approach 14 days. And I've had patients literally call me on ninth day. That actually, we, we, we have him back in the hospital for something else. He came off of insulin on day number nine. I, I still can't believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of his complaints was that constipation. And uh, for many, many, many years. And he calls me and says, look, I'm pooping three times a day now. So, 
Yeah. So then after 14 days, I tell them it's it's your call now, you know, because I'm not running your kitchen. This is, it has because this is such a powerful lifestyle change. It has to come from within. And if you want to go further, then I will help you. Do you find it so amazing that we're we're fighting against this cultural norm with such a simple message that's so profound? It blows my mind that we even have to go through the links and the stresses and the time and all of this to send yeah. such a simple message of life-saving information. It's just food. I understand the cultural locations, but it's just, it's just funny to me. Here we are, two MDs. We see thousands of patients a year, and we are both enthralled with sharing this message, but we have to spend so much time and energy and emotional you know, uh, currency to convince someone to change when it's so simple. I know, I know. That's why, you know, I, I never felt so excited in my medical career about, you know, what I've been doing and especially joining Whole Health. That's what I've been telling everybody through my emails as, as you know, I, I, nothing in my career ever excited me as much as my joining of Whole Health is because to what I've been doing in my, the silo of my own little cardiology practice and my own individual patient encounters. Now, thanks to the National VA leadership, we, we have an organized program across the country that we can partner uh, without any outside influence of, you know, be it industry or financial forces controlling, you know, what we can, what the VA can do uh, to do it. And to me, it's, 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 it's a unique opportunity, but I agree with you. It is, you know, I, I, as recently as two weeks ago or three weeks ago, American Heart, the great, amazing, amazing study came out of NYU. It's not published yet. And very, very ingenious way of looking at it. What they looked at, they looked at, I think, about 400 patients who come for a heart catheterization and said, you know what? We're going to, when you come in, we're going to look at your inflammatory markers, right? That's what we're going to measure your CRP levels mm -hmm. and, and then going to randomize you to American Heart Association diet. Very ingenious, uh, you know, visionary from, from, the, from the doctors at NYU to do this is, uh, one arm was American Heart Association diet, and the other arm is whole food plant-based diet. After eight weeks, after eight weeks, the whole food plant-based diet decreased the CRP by 27%. The American Heart diet decreased it by 7%. So when, and again, yes, we can argue that it's a small sample size, and only of the 400 people that they screened, I believe only 100 people, you know, agreed to consent and, and participate in an eight-week program. Uh, but my argument would be that is food, it's benign, has no side effects. So all the thought leaders in the, in, the, in the cardiology community should be lined up in front of National Institute of Health, begging for millions of dollars of funding to do this study at a larger scale to put this question to rest. Instead, I hear comments like, oh, we, this is not to be believed yet because it's a small study. Well, the same leader should be lined up in front of NIH. And NIH, look, the 100 patient study can show such a profound difference. Right. Has no side effects and it's food. Right. That's all it is is food. Shouldn't that be the bedrock of our treatment? Absolutely. Proceduralist, I, I make a living out of doing procedures. There's always going to be a need to do procedures, but the foundation of our treatment for all chronic diseases should be lifestyle. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Data emerging every single day. There's emerging data. Incredible. Yeah. Huh. So if you have someone who's sitting here and they're listening to you and they're like, wow, Dr. Reddy, I have heart disease. My cardiologist thinks I'm crazy if I were to go and talk to him about that. 
how does a patient approach their physician to say, this is what I want to do and, and have the physician deal with a physician that may be antagonistic to it? Well, what I tell you know, a lot of times patients ask me that a lot of, a lot of our veterans have uh, outside doctors also. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they come back and tell me like, look, you know, my outside cardiologist doesn't believe in this. And I said, you know, it just look, you know, you, what do you got to lose? It's, I'm not adding a pill to you. I'm not adding a procedure to you. If anything, be in close communication with me and be in close communication with your doctor and tell them, doc, look, I am measuring my blood pressure every single day that like you asked me. But I read somewhere that I can take this nitrate-rich vegetable such as arugula or, or, or red beets or, or flax or, or hibiscus tea. And you know, none of them are harmful. It's not like I'm taking some crazy mixture from some, some remote island that, that I don't know anything about. This is food that I buy at Publix, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, yeah, I, that's all I'm incorporating. I cut down my salt and all of a sudden I'm waking up with very low blood pressure numbers. Mm. And I come off my blood pressure pill. And I, I would be shocked if a cardiologist hears that story and says, no, you still have to stay on three blood pressure pills. And then there is that problem within medicine. I was one of those doctors. I, and then when I say this, you know, three or four vegetables and plant, there's an American Heart Association paper on this. It's not like I'm, you know, I'm like a snake, snake oil sales guy pulling this, this, you know, high discus tea from, from, some, from South India. <laughs> it's, right. It's, yeah. There's an American Heart Association paper supporting this. This can be used as an alternative to lower yeah. the pill burden. So that's what I tell people is that the way to not argue to have a, a, a productive conversation with the, with your provider is to empower yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, not an MD. I, I tell my patients, I don't expect you to come back in three months with MD next to your name and cardiology. <laughs> Learn a little about your food. You Most of us know more about Monday morning football games. <laughs> On Monday morning, we know more about what happened over the weekend. How come we don't know what goes into our breakfast? Right. Absolutely. Yeah, so, so I said that I empower them to you learn the information so you can have a reasonable, non-confrontational, non-threatening discussions with your providers. That makes sense. That yes. makes a lot of sense. Well, and I think, too, they start learning. Then we learn about it's just not we don't just go to the store and buy food. There is a whole system that brought Absolutely. that food to our location. And we need to understand everything we eat has a price. There's a global price, there's a local price, there's a national price, there's so there's environmental costs, you know, so I think we miss that big picture because we're behind this veil, you know, there's, we don't see what's going on. And so I think that's another thing for me, besides the health stuff, was learning everything else environmentally, which drives me even further. I mean, because we have children, and we want them to have a place to live that's healthy and Absolutely. You know, when, 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 we, when we were at uh, ACLM uh, October, one of the, 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 the speakers was uh, Brenda Davies, who was a kind of pretty world-renowned, uh, you know, nutrition expert. And one of the slides that she showed like, kind of left a, a lasting impact on me. And I came back and I, I, and I researched it, and she showed a slide from one of the economic, uh, the economy, you know, economist type of journals that the, the environmental impact of what we take for granted, that a single person goes, goes out to a nice steak dinner, as a shrimp cocktail and a steak dinner. The environmental impact in terms of uh, uh, greenhouse gases is mm. equivalent to that of driving a fuel efficient car, one of the hybrid electric cars from mm. Los Angeles to California. In one meal? In one meal, one meal of steak and shrimp cocktail dinner. 
Wow. And it's a published data, and uh, and and that that is in the economics and the sociology and and, and the environmental impact of it. And just today, this morning, before we you know we, before I set up for the interview, I was reviewing a paper, uh, or a statement from fifteen or sixteen thousand scientists from one hundred and eighty three countries, asking humanity in general to seriously think about at least go cut down meat consumption by fifty percent and the impact that it would have on on uh, greenhouse gases. Where is that paper located? What is that paper? I, I, saw, I saw somewhere. I was Googling something. I saw it. I really haven't printed it yet. But okay. I, I'll, I'll send it your way once I go get yeah. dive in. Yeah. Wow. And there's a lot of data coming in terms of, you know, our, our footprint, you know, with you know, global growth of seven, eight. Billion. Another thing that kind of shocks me is that in my lifetime, in my short lifetime, human population doubled. Right. Human population on this planet so how are you going to sustain this type of growth and maintain this degree of animal consumption deforestation you know water utilization and air quality it's it's just not sustainable right just, absolutely yeah we just can't take this for granted no we can't but we keep we i feel like a, a foot soldier and we just keep marching yeah but that's Thing, you know, I, my, see, my thing is that, you know, look, you know, we went through this with smoking. You know, there used to be a time the JAMA, American, Journal of American Medical Association, published cigarette ads in the middle of the journal. <laughs> Your doctor smokes camels. <laughs> so, again, you know, look, it took, it took culturally over a century mm. for us to look at, you know, uh, uh, smoking the way we look at it now. Uh, the same thing, I, I think that, that, that paradigm shift that, you know, probably because the media connectivity and the global connectivity, it, it may happen a little sooner. But what I tell Ange, my wife, uh, jokingly, is that, look, when you and I are old and our grandchildren look up on us and say, whoa, you guys used to go through the fast food places and eat cheeseburgers? How, what were you thinking? I said, look, when it was my time, I played my role. Look at my Facebook blog. <laughs> <laughs> So, That's right. So share us, yeah. share with us your Facebook blog. Let's see, Food MD. I did not sit on the sidelines. So about a year ago, I created this thing, you know, not just to put the information out. To me, it's a learning experience because I learned medicine through repetition. So if I read a study and I share it with people, I do a lecture about it. It kind of stays with me longer. Mm -hmm. uh, so what I did was that you know, look, you know, Food Food MD. You know, it's not a paid site. It's free. I just do it for fun to just you know to block something as data comes out. And uh, surprisingly, it comes as a first hit on Facebook when you type FoodMD. And uh, I just share, you know, as information comes in clinical nutrition, cardiovascular or even non-cardiovascular papers as they come out, I put the actual link and write one or two lines about what, what my thoughts are. Mm. And I put it out there and, and people comment, people follow, and I just see wherever it goes. And so far it's going well, you know, I don't sell anything. I have no, no you know, to, to, to put it in the words of great Michael Greger, it's just a labor of love. Mm, absolutely. So we have a lot to learn from Dr. Reddy. So you guys check out the uh, FoodMD Facebook page. It is, it is very helpful. So is there any last words of encouragement? Or let's say I actually interviewed um, Dr. Richard Carmona, our previous Surgeon General, um, yes. on Monday. And I always, you know, it's funny. As I, I think Rich Roll would ask doctors, if you were the Surgeon General, what would you do? I was like, well, Dr. Cremona, since you've been the Surgeon General, that was kind of funny, but if you were the Surgeon General and you had, you know, a little bit more, not quite as anemic powers as they have now, but a little bit more ability to change what's going on in our medical 
uh, community, what would you think would be the one thing that would really benefit the United States? Education, catch them young. I, I, would, I would push till my last breath to educate. I don't want to mandate policies because they never really go well, especially when it comes to lifestyle. I don't want to dictate to doctors or the society as to how they should eat. But if I show them the power of science, especially through medical providers, because I'm, I'm saying this based on what I went through. If somebody came to me three years ago and told me that arugula lowers your blood pressure, I said, get out of my office. That's what I ever told them. <laughs> I lowers blood pressure, lysinopril. But what the heck are you talking about? I would not even given the chance of a 20 second time with that person mm. because I was not educated. Right. That's all there is to it. So that's why if, if I had the power at a national level, I would revamp medical education. I jokingly tell now, you know, in American medical system, going back to the initial question, those 17 years, four years in college. Um, so let me, so this is my final kind of, if I can have it my way, I would make it mandatory that you have to have at least a bachelor's in clinical nutrition before you sit for MCAT. Mm, that would be fantastic. That's, that's where do I get it from? Hippocrates. He, he who does not know food, how can he know the disease of man? Right, absolutely. So if you don't know food, you're not be eligible to sit for MCAT. But that's the utopian you know, worldview. Of, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I, I know I'm coming across a little naive and I say that, but that, that's, if I had the power, I would do that. I would mandate clinical nutrition before you even enter medical school. Wow, because, that would be good. Yeah, medical, look, at the end of medical school on my training, I was extremely good and I, I take pride in those three things. And, and, there's, and there's a continued need for those things. How, mm -hmm. to, how to make a diagnosis, how to, how to prescribe properly and how to do a procedure properly. Mm -hmm. So those were the three things that I'm extremely good at. But hypertension, diabetes, obesity, sleep apnea, if a lot, all of this, almost all of our chronic diseases, you don't need any of them if you really, really get to the bottom of it. Right. And, and there's no training about it. There's right. absolutely no training. So that's what I would do if I can have it my way, is completely revamp our medical education. And that's what Dr. Carmona was talking about was uh, medical education and starting young with children, uh, school education, teaching them about foods. Yeah. And so then it just becomes a natural progression as they get older. It's like, well, why would I eat that? That's not real food. So that we understand. So absolutely. absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. It's going to take a long time, but it's, it's, we got to do what we can do in our lifetime. Yeah, in our lifetime. Right? It's yeah, be not, this is not stopping. This is, this is my battle for the rest of my life. There's no... <gasps> I am so like impatient too. It's like, I just want to see it done. <laughs> don't, you, don't you people understand? <laughs> you know, you know, look, you know, we go to hospitals, you know, there are hospitals in this town. There are hospitals in this town with McDonald's in the main lobby. Oh my goodness. So and I reasoned with them and I said, well, if, 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 you know, if, you know, people, you know, one of the frequent from an administrative kind of thing, one of the frequent arguments that I hear, you know, uh, not necessarily from here because we haven't gotten that far yet, but you know, from the, you know, the chatters on the social media and the internet is that people have a choice and people have a choice and they, you know, they, but why, you know, well, if that's the case, why not stock up hospital cafeterias with uh, Philip Morris or any cigarette brand? Why, people have a choice. Mm -hmm. Why are we not doing it? Because it took us over a hundred years to bring about the paradigm cultural shift. Right. Hopefully it's not going to take another hundred years with this. Hopefully. Uh. Hopefully we can get it done sooner because of the you know, global connectivity and the media and, and you know, things like what you and I are doing today. Right, absolutely. And I, I can only hope so. Well, Dr. Reddy, it has been a wonderful interview and thank you so much for your time. I know you're very busy and even just looking at your whiteboard back there, it's just like, it's a oh, lot. This is, where, this is where I teach my cardiologist stuff to my, my fellows and uh, you know, the doctors. In 
yourself. That's fantastic. So, but thank you again. And we're so honored. And like I said, look him up and connect with Dr. Reddy on FoodMD on Facebook. So very cool. All thank right. You. It was a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. In health. In health.